Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Look out. It's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a modem, and I love films. As Kanye West once said, I don't use blue. I don't like it. It bugs me out. I hate it. It's why I really struggled with the Derek Jarman film Blue, which was just 90 minutes of a blue screen. It was like a whole nightmare to me. Wise words from Kanye there. Every week I invite a special guest over, I tell them they've died, and then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. If you've never heard the show, check out the back catalogue. Previous guests include Jamila Jamil, Ricky Gervais and January Jones, but this week my special guest is Zombieland and Venom director Ruben Fleischer. If you do enjoy the podcast, you want to support it and get more content, Please come and join me over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein, where you'll get extra guest questions for all of the episodes except a couple. You'll get videos, you'll get guest list tickets, you'll get recommendations, you get all sorts of stuff. This week there's a full 14 minutes exactly extra where Ruben and I discuss best opening and closing sequences and the film that made him rethink his life. And remember, best of all, if you do become a Patreon member, not only do you get all that, but you don't get this bit. I cut this bit out where I talk about becoming a Patreon member. You get the whole episode with no ads and none of me banging on about being a Patreon member. So give it a look over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. You'll enjoy it. So here we go. Ruben Fleischer is a brilliant director. He's responsible for Zombieland, Gangster Squad, Venom and the upcoming Zombieland 2. I was lucky enough to work with him on a pilot for Bill Lawrence a while ago and he was such a lovely, brilliant man. I wanted for ages to get him on a podcast. And you will see from the results, it's an absolute cracker. He is a pure joy and delight. We recorded this in his edit suite where he was putting the final touches to Zombieland 2. So I got to see all the pics and things I'm never allowed to talk about. And in fact, having said that, I'm probably about to be uh, taken care of by someone. Anyway, I'll tell you what, it looks fucking good. That's it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 59 of Films to be Buried With. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried With. It is me, Brett Goldstein, a man, and I am joined today by an incredible man. He is a writer, he is a producer, he is a director, he is a developer. He is responsible for one of the most successful films of all time and many, many more. And he is about to blow your mind with a new film that you're going to love so much you're going to cry. Please welcome to the show the wonderful... The beautiful, the lovely Ruben Fleischer. Hey, hey. 
Hi, Brett. Hi, Ruben. How are you? Thank you so much for including me on this podcast. I feel very honored. Hey, I'm honored that you took the time to do this. I'm going I to have s- to correct your introduction, though. I am not a writer. I wish I had that talent. Uh, I've tried to write things, and they were terrible, so uh, I cannot claim that, that Well, title. explain to me, then, because you develop scripts. What do you do? Just tell other writers? I tell more talented people than myself my bad ideas for them to reinterpret <laughs> into a better way. Or I, I, I guess, like, uh, you know, I do have, I think, good story sense, and I've watched enough movies to kind of, or TV shows, to know where things should go or what characters might want or ways to make things funnier, but I don't have the ability necessarily to achieve it myself, so I can, you know, offer suggestions or point out things that maybe could be better, but I don't, I don't always have the ability, or I actually never have the ability to really execute those things so i rely on people like yourself to uh make the scripts from the starting place and then to incorporate whatever feedback i have can you tell me this i've just thought of something i would like to know as someone who does write and gets notes from people like like you when you give notes and then the writer goes off and writes something and then they give back a, a new draft that is different from the draft you read but might have ignored quite a few of your notes, do you A, notice, and B, get upset? I think sometimes I notice, probably uh, it depends on how macro it is. Like if it's like, you know, the character would never want to do that and then she does it again, maybe that's something I might notice. But if it's like, I really didn't like this joke on page 36, like, I I don't know. Some And the other thing is like, uh, I've found at least like, I like improvising a lot in scripts, so sometimes I can just be like, okay, well, we'll just figure it out. Yeah. Like, or we'll just try and beat that uh, joke or whatever if we haven't come up with a better one beforehand. Now, you and I met. We did, if people have listened to every episode of this, and a couple of people have, uh, the Bill Lawrence pilot that I was in, you directed, spaced out. I thought it was excellent. I was very sad that it didn't get picked up. We of had a course, yeah. Time. It was very, very sad. I... I, I you know, that was how I met you. Obviously, I was exposed to your brilliant comedy. Yeah, it was a great ensemble and a really cool premise and really talented crew uh, behind the scenes led by the mighty Bill Lawrence, um, but also Adam Seekiel and a bunch of other really talented people. And I, I was really saddened because uh, I thought I thought we did a good job. But, you know, those decisions aren't always up to us, are they? Should I tell you something? I don't know if you remember this. I was thinking this on the way here. Uh, that when I thought you've, you're very good, uh, well, when you're very good with actors and you know how to deal with people, is there been uh, there been like a whole week of me having to meet with like the costume designer and like how this character was going to look and how this character was going to dress and and I remember it being like this whole thing between me and the costume designer and it was like what do you think and we built this whole idea and then you came in to the room and you went. I, I already have an idea, and I was like, what is it? And you said, I'm just going to make you look as handsome as possible. And I was like, okay, cool, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, he's, he's got us all pegged, this guy. Um, that's funny, I don't even remember saying that. But yeah. uh, that's not like a go-to necessarily, but hearing it back, like, I'm actually proud of that, that <laughs> yeah, statement. Good, like, I'm like, wow, that's pretty good. It's I'm really clever, because then I don't, you know, I was just going to do whatever you said at that point. Yeah. like, well, I'm all yours now. <laughs> Forget that's whatever good. my ideas, that doesn't no. matter. That's a good lesson to for me to remember for future. Yeah, just tell people they're fit and they'll <laughs> do as you say. Yeah. Uh, now I turned up at your production office. And this I, is an editorial office. Editor- we are, this is where we are editing the movie Zombieland Two. Zombieland Two. 
And I just saw the fucking trailer and it was amazing. <laughs> and I feel very honoured. Now, Zombie Dad was your first film. It was. T- ten years ago, almost uh, to the day that this will be released. It was October 2009 that it came out. And yeah, I'd been like a music video and commercial director and done a bunch of short films. But um, I just hit the jackpot, got real lucky uh, with Zombieland as my first ever opportunity and never could have begun to guess uh, how well it would be received. It's a huge film, though. Like, I watched it again. It's like, it's not... I don't really understand how it happened. It's like a big old... I mean, it's I have no idea. Honestly, like, um, you know, my biggest budget prior to that was, you know, maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars on a big commercial or something, like... Mm -hmm. and and uh, I had never done anything with action, never done anything with horror or zombies. Um, and I remember the DP on the movie, like we had to shoot all these action sequences and I'd never done anything with a gun in it. And he's like, well, I've never not done anything with a gun in it. Like I only shoot action stuff. So I was, I, I think the best decision I made on Zombieland was making sure that I was the least educated or the least experienced person on that set. Like, you know, down to Abigail, the 12-year-old Abigail Breslin, <laughs> yeah. who by that point had already been nominated for an Academy Award. Like, I I literally was the only person who had probably never been on a real movie set before. Um, but, like, all my heads of departments, my production designer had worked on many big films. My DP had shot hours of TV and some movies. And, um, yeah, so I, I think that's, if I could give any advice to any aspiring directors out there, I think... Make sure that you know the least of everybody who's around you because uh, as long as you know what you want and you can communicate that, those people actually know how to execute it because I couldn't have, you know, done any of that without a lot of, a lot of help. That's amazing. Um, and you also, we don't have to go into a lot of detail on it, but you made the film Venom, which was a fucking huge success. Massive. And I've realised, looking at your stuff, you make these, you make, big films and I wonder knowing you a bit how all I guess I would like to know is how much on these films and how much even on Zombieland and Zombieland 2 as well how much do you get to do exactly what you want how much of it is compromising with the studio how much of it and how do you cope with that on Zombieland it was a relatively low I mean it was a 20 million dollar movie which is not nothing but for a studio movie it was relatively small so we kind of were left to our own devices and I had storyboarded a lot of the action and kind of knew what I want going into it, but they, they, they were very trusting. I had an experienced producer and at least in my memory, maybe it was different, but the way I imagine it was we were in Atlanta making a movie and then they didn't even, it wasn't even really on their radar. And I think the head of the studio saw it for the first time at the preview and was like, Holy smokes like, like how did like how did this happen like i think she had the same feeling too like was just had no idea like this was even going on um, and was pleased with the result but just like it just was out of didn't nowhere even know you were in it like. yeah exactly like uh whereas the, it was kind of the opposite on venom where it was the biggest movie at the studio that year there was a lot of pressure on sony to figure out what they were doing with their superhero uh, ip and big movie star so there was there was way more attention on that film, and the budget was, you know, significantly higher. And I think the more money they have in the movie, the more control they want to have, or at least input, or you know, it's more of a partnership at that point. So there's a lot of cooks, and it's just a 
it's like an enterprise. You know, when you have like an investment of, you know, over $100 million, there's going to be more opinions offered. Right. And you handled it. I did. I I, I mean, I think the movie is really entertaining. And I think, um, you know, it was hard that the critics didn't love it. But I think audiences really did. Yeah, they really, uh, really did. Yeah, like it was was a fun movie to watch with an audience. And at the end of the day, I set out to make an entertaining, you know, superhero movie. And I feel like that's what we delivered. And for me, the kind of touchstone from the beginning, which I told the studio and I told Tom Hardy, was uh, American Werewolf in London. Just because it has that kind of combo of horror and comedy, yeah. and you know, I feel like it's that's a tough thing to pull off in a superhero movie. But I feel like there's aspects and moments in the film where Tom really harnessed that that spirit and like you know whether it was the transformations into Venom that kind of evoke something to the effect of the werewolf transformations or the mix right. the mix of actually funny moments and something that should be horrific yeah. and like undercutting you know the expectation uh, i feel like I, th- with that is like my north star for the film it, the end result i feel like it does certainly you know it's, it's not going to compete with american wolf in london no, no movie could really but i feel like within the genre it was a nice horror comedy kind of uh superhero movie which hadn't really been done before i don't think that's going great, and that's one of my favorite films. Yeah, that director. This is a total tangent, but I think he's the most unheralded director uh, in the world. John, John Landis. Landis. He made five of the greatest movies ever made, and like you know, we talk about directors all the time, and his yeah. name never comes up. But I see you, John Landis, and I raise you, Rob Reiner. I think Rob Reiner gets more respect than John Landis. Does he? He's never on a list. He's never really? On a list and he's made like six. He made one of my favorite movies of all time, Which Stand by Me. But uh, Stand by Me, when but, Harry Met Sally. Yeah. Well, that's like, but that Harry Met Sally is why I would say he does get the credit because right. that is, I think, widely considered possibly the greatest romantic comedy, and I feel like he's very much a part of that movie. But Princess Bride is yeah. one of my all-time favorite movies. What Spinal else? Tap. Spinal Tap, sure. Coming to America. Coming to America. Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers, my all-time favorite movie. Or one of them. Mm-hmm. Where we'll find out later. We will find I don't out. want to, no spoilers. spoilers. <laughs> uh, Trading Places, I take off the list. American okay. Werewolf in London. Yeah. And Animal House. Yeah, it's pretty good. And then if you include Kentucky Fried Movie, which is one of my faves. I'm not against it. It's five and a half. Or maybe half of that and half of... Training places, okay, yeah. but Training Places is a great movie. I'm, I'm not quite. It was the introduction, the world's introduction. No, that's not true. Forty eight hours was, but um, but yeah, it's a great. I, I like it. I, I, I the only reason I don't like Training Places is it takes an hour for them to trade places, and I'm like, we we know what the plot is. It's in the title. <laughs> Get on with it. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> you really set this up quite quickly in the credits, so let's move on. <laughs> um, uh, one last question, if I may. Zombieland 2, which is the sequel to the first film we made 10 years ago, where now everyone is Oscar-nominated and, and you're 10 years later. From the look of the trailer, A, no one's aged. Well done. <laughs> and, I can't take any credit for that. Was it different? How I'd love to know how different it was to return to this thing with the same group of people and everyone's... You, everyone, is now far more successful than you were 10 years ago and Emma Stone had just won an Oscar. And well, what's how, so fantastic, was honestly, it was it, it didn't factor into it at all. Right. I mean, I think we all 
maybe if anything, we're just a little less insecure, uh, or at least maybe I was just because I actually have made now prior to this one four movies. So the first one, I just was so yeah. you know just nervous about it all. But these are four of the greatest people in the world. Uh, Woody's truly like everything you could hope Woody Harrelson would be. He's just like the most amazing, fun, awesome, hilarious, great guy. Jesse, oh, the other thing I'm super proud about about this movie actually is that for Jesse, Emma, and Woody, this was my third movie with each of them because Jesse was in 30 Minutes or Less in Zombieland, Emma was in Gangster Squad, and Zombieland, and Woody uh, is at the end of Venom. So, like, every movie I've done since Zombieland included one of the original cast members. So, for me, and we've all maintained friendships with each other, and so this was such a privilege and, like, I think it will never be like this again where it's just like it was so fun. Everyone was there because they wanted to be and loves each other. Like that was the only reason they came back. That's Woody so nice. was super strict in that he wouldn't do it until he believed that the script was worth doing. So he was the most like he was the one who just was like the first movie is so beloved we can't do anything that's not going to be at least as good or better. And so that all comes down to the script. And so he was like the most strict about that. But other than that, like, once we got the script to the point and everyone agreed to get back together, I mean, it, it was, every day was so fun. They're all so beyond talented. They're all so beyond funny. The improvs were just like like nothing you've seen. It was just an absolute privilege, and I feel so lucky to have had that experience to get to work with them all again. Emma said this too. great thing that made me so happy was, like, we should, because this is the 10 year anniversary of Zombieland. And she was like, we should make one of these every 10 years. Like, and uh, just yeah, like, keep like the going. before sunrise. Yeah, yeah, Zombie exactly. Girls. And she's like, Woody's going to outlive us all anyway, because he's like this healthy, raw, <laughs> vegan guy. So, like, uh, we can just keep doing this forever. And nothing would make me happier. It was such a, That's such sad, a joy, no. honestly. Like, I've never had so much fun. Uh, it was, it was a, uh, I, I got to shut up, but it was, it was really yeah, great. Really? I, I just hope that the movie, reflects that because uh, it was a really awesome experience that's so good to hear um ruben i forgot to tell you something oh shit i forgot to tell you something and it's really bad that i didn't tell you this okay up front and i should have told you when i got here is this part of the podcast and uh, i should have oh, fuck i should have told you this i feel bad i don't even know how you can take this but uh oh fuck did you forget to hit record no it's recording. The problem is, I'll just say it. You, uh, it's a shame. Uh, you've died. You're you died. Oh right. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I got that from the title of the uh, <laughs> podcast. Like, this is the same issue with trading places. Yeah. Apparently, like seventeen minutes. Way in. too long. <laughs> talking about things that don't have to do with the title of the podcast. Um, uh, okay. How did you die? It's actually something I'm really proud of. Um, because I said a world record. What was it? The oldest living person. Wow. Of all time. How old? 127. <laughs> yeah. And uh, natural causes. When you say natural causes, as in you fell down the stairs because <laughs> you were so frail? No, I just like, um, I was surrounded by all my loved ones, my like grandkids, my great grandkids, my great great grandkids. Yeah. And they were all just telling me how amazing I was and how much they appreciate me and... Uh, yeah, and then I just slowly like left left that my last breath, and uh, it was over. Okay, a couple of questions. A, 
Did you not worry about how many of your contemporaries would be dead <laughs> while you were living your, your last 30 years? Like, oh, you like, don't mind. You've got no, a new I, had, I had, like, a 27-year-old girlfriend, so I was, like, so <laughs> happy. I mean, I'd already been on my fourth wife. Like, I'd outlived all of them. Okay, you yeah, cool. Yeah. Do you worry about death? No, I actually don't. Really? I, I, I don't think about it much. I know for some people it's a real thought. I guess maybe since I've had kids... I have the thought of I hope I don't die because it would really uh, have a have a bad effect on their lives. Mm-hmm. But I feel so lucky in the what life I've had in 44 years that it's not something that really ever factors into my. I do I do think I need to be healthier so that I can live longer to yeah. get to the 127. But um, <laughs> I don't I don't know that I uh, ever like have anxiety about like if and when it will happen. Do you think that there's an afterlife? I don't. You think 127, last breath, blackout? Blackout. No consciousness, nothing? Nothing. God. All the people around you, suddenly, you've got. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. I mean, whenever I've lost someone, that's what I imagine. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, I got a surprise for you. You're, you're wrong. Oh, okay, good to know. Uh, I, yeah, I think you'll like this because you want to live forever, I s- sort of think. Would you be a zombie? Would you no, happily be a, a zombie? Idea. That's how you should have died. I should have gotten eaten by a zombie. Fuck, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> it's not too late. I've been very much on brand. Yeah. Would you like to... Well, anyway, you go to heaven. There's a heaven. And they're obsessed with films up there. Would you like that? You'd enjoy that, wouldn't you? Sure. And um, all anyone wants to talk to you about is your life, but free film... The first question they ask you is, what is the first film that you remember seeing? This is a weird one, because it's actually true. And I also have a very, very bad memory. So I don't remember very much of my life, like, up until, like, last week. I I have, like, a terrible, terrible... I'm a bit like a goldfish. I just kind of, you know... But for some reason, I remember very clearly going with my... I think my mom and my cousins, and I couldn't tell you, we'd have to Google what year it came out, but my grandparents lived in Pennsylvania. I grew up in Washington, D.C., and we're at my grandparents' house in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We went to the mall to see The Incredible Shrinking Woman. Oh, wow. Which I've never seen since. I can picture scenes from the movie where they, yeah. like, built really big stuff, and she had to, like, climb through, like, I don't know, a vacuum cleaner or whatever. Yeah. But, uh... I, I don't even know what year that was. Actually, I'm curious. I turned my phone off for the, out of respect for your podcast. But uh, I was born in 74, so I'm guessing it was maybe like 80 or something like that. And I couldn't tell you who was in it. I should probably watch it just to know what the first movie I saw was. But that's that's my honest recollection of what my first movie I ever saw. In the theater, that is. Hang on. That says 1981. Oh, so I was, was seven. Schumacher. Directed it? Wow. Yeah, in his debut. And had Lily Tomlin in it. Was she the incredible shrinking woman? Yeah. Oh, I actually do vaguely remember Charles that. Charles Croydon. Oh, well, that's a good cast. Yeah. How many stars? <laughs> I, I uh, yeah, so I guess I was seven. So that's indicative of how bad my memory is. Like, I remember so little. You don't um, remember pre-seven. Well, apparently not. And you, went, you, your grandparents lived where the office is set, is that right? Yeah. Oh, right. wow. So that was very personal for me. Oh, wow. Yeah. I got um, a lot of the references. Does, uh, do you remember being like, fuck, I love this, 
I've been no, I think it was odd. Uh, I remember like it being cool to go to a movie theater. Right. I mean, I remember seeing Star Wars. I remember going to see other movies, but that one I honestly believe was like maybe the first one. That's great. Um, I mean, I really don't remember like I've like even thinking about some of my past movie experiences. It was a struggle. I just have such a, a <laughs> terrible memory. Well, you got a fucking lot going on, mate. <laughs> no, but that, it's always been that way. It just is. How I'm built. I don't know. And um, are you an only child? No, I'm a, a three of us. You in the middle? Top. Top. Yeah. Top, middle, or bottom. Top by how long? Uh, my brother is two years younger than me, and then my sister is seven years younger than me. Okay. And so, with that, was your brother at this? Cinema, do you remember? Was yeah. it with your family? I can't remember. I just remember my cousins uh, were there. Okay. Who were older. They were like older cousins. And so they, I think I went with them. What is the film that made you cry the most? I have kind of two answers for this one. You can have two and then we'll have to pick one. Okay. The movie that like I authentically cried the most was Ordinary People. Great. Which I saw in college. And uh, I watched at a friend's house that we were living in. And I remember uh, being, like, really embarrassed because I was just so, uh, <laughs> like, you know, just weeping, like, yeah. heaving, weeping. Are you a crier in... Norway? Yeah, I'm, a, like, a scene crier. Oh, really? Like, oh, yeah. It's like, <laughs> like I'll cry. I, I, I cried. Well, that's my other movie that I cried the most for, which yeah. you'll find funny, is that I was on a plane, and we all know we cry on yeah. planes. But I cry... I mean, I'll cry now. Like, I'll, it's not a big deal. I, I like... You know, you know, I cried. Uh, I cry all the time, but uh, I, I was on a plane and I was watching Independence Day, and I was like weeping, That's watching sweet, Independence man. Day, and I was like so self conscious because it's Independence Day. There's nothing that sad about it, but there was something about that movie that just really struck a chord, and I was like That's weeping so openly, so ashamed on a plane, like with strangers. And, uh, yeah, Independence Day really got me, which is just, there's no explanation. Right. I'm going to deal with these in order. Ordinary People, I think, does hold up. I think it's a very good film. I actually get annoyed with people who get angry that Ordinary People won the Oscar. I know it's not fucking Raging Bull. Of course it's not. But it's a very good film, and I think Robert Redford's an amazing director. Quiz show, top ten. I think Robert Redford's great. But it's a good film, and it is moving, and you're all right. And it's got Donald Sutherland in, who is always amazing. Independence Day, of course you cried. <laughs> you think so? It's so powerful. Oh, right. That, I was hey. just consumed by the emotion yeah. of like, the victory against the aliens. Excuse me? The, yeah. uh, the first lady dies and the, Bill Pullman has to say she's sleeping now, which always disturbed me because I was like, <laughs> does she understand that she's actually dead? <laughs> and uh, he t- says... So unlike me, your memory is incredible. Jesus. Uh, yeah, yeah. He has the speech. Today we, we fight back. We fight for our independence. Time. That's where it, it yeah. got me, man. I was just a wreck. Of course. Yeah. You're only human. Yeah. I think I'm going to pick Independence Day because... I think I possibly might be the only person who cried during Independence Day. I'm sure I cried. I'd cry on Independence Day if I was alone. If people are around, I won't cry. But you'll cry at a drop of a hat in front of people. Yeah, my wife is very embarrassed by it. Like, I'll cry all the time. But I'll cry watching, like, some cheesy TV show. I cried during a Lady Gaga TV uh, movie or whatever. I'll cry at any commercial. I have kids. I cry all the time watching my kids like do sweet things. Like, 
It's it's a problem. I don't know what's the matter with that. <laughs> it's a problem. What do your kids do when you cry? Do they look embarrassed and look at the floor? They do. Usually I try and hide it from them out of self-respect. But, uh, like, for example, Yashay, my daughter graduated pre-K. Congratulations. Yeah, she's uh, she got a diploma and everything. But, uh, yeah, I mean, of course, like, when they're singing their cover of the Pink song <laughs> at the graduation, I couldn't help but tear up. Which um, Pink song? Not Family Portrait? No, I don't know the name of it. It's a cover, a Pink cover, of a show from the great uh, song, a uh, movie. Greatest Showman song. Oh, okay. I don't know what it's this called. This is me? No, it's something about our future and we're going to be... A Million so, Dreams? Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's the one. Put me right over the edge. You had to watch a pre-K class singing there was A Million like Dreams. Like 40 little five-year-olds singing A Million Dreams about how they're going to like change oh, the world. And like, yeah, I was a mess. And what did your daughter say? Just look away. Well, she was at a far, great distance because she right, was on okay. stage, so she couldn't see. <laughs> but I filmed it. I'm sure you can hear me like we like sobbing as I'm like shaking the camera. Yeah, so when she watches it back, then she'll definitely see that her dad was embarrassing her. My dad was a crier. I guess yeah. I inherited that gene. But I used to be so embarrassed when he would cry, like yeah. at like baseball games. If I did something good, he'd like be, have tears of pride, tears. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I would be like, get out of here, <laughs> get out. <laughs> My dad likes to cry. I mean, I. I, I do cry, but I hate it. I feel anger about it. I don't. It doesn't bother me. I actually, I feel a relief. I feel like I'm a pretty stoic dude, and so like, like left to my own devices, like I I have no shame. But um, when my wife looks at me and she's like rolling her eyes, they're like, oh my god, like she, you know. Did she not cry? <laughs> she's no, she doesn't. She, I mean, occasionally, but like not on a daily basis like I do, especially not during like network television shows that's fucking great uh what is the film that scared you the most you've made basically a comedy and a horror at um the same time i mean there's lots of really really scary movies obviously and and i wish i had a better answer for this but for me the one that i think just like when i picture a really scary movie for me it was poltergeist and i think it's in part just because i saw it pretty young mm-hmm. and the girl in that one is so young and it just, the graveyard under the house, like it just, it's more like unseen scary as opposed to like mm-hmm. jump scare scary. As I remember, I haven't seen that for a long time either. But uh, I think I think just because I was so young and it was formative and it was like creepy scary. Yeah. As opposed to like gruesome scary or, you know, horrifically yeah. scary. I mean, I'd like to say like Rosemary's Baby or something like that, but I think I was older at that point and like, I wasn't as affected by it. Yeah, Rosie's Baby is a great film, but it's not. I don't know that it's scary. What's like, tr- what if you had to say like, what's the scariest movie? Like, you know, commonly held or other yeah. past guests or yourself. Like, I, I kind of struggle. I also don't watch lots of scary movies. Like, it's just not a genre that I because drawn to. You. No, I just I don't I don't get the the thrill. Like, really? like whatever people who go see scary movies love about yeah. them. I don't have that same appreciation. Like, I just like comedies and action stuff, so... What's the film that you love? Critically, it is not acclaimed. Most people don't like it, but you stand by this film and you go, you're all idiots. I love this film. For me, I, we, you know, there's a long list of these. Okay. I, the, the movie, a fun fact about Ruben Fleischer that I'm sure you don't know is probably anyone other than me doesn't know, is that the movie I saw more times in the movie theater than any other movie 
is called Adventures in Babysitting. That is a great film. But I think that it's a great film, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know what its critical review was. So, like, I don't know if that answers this question I think that's a fair answer because I don't think it's considered... I think people... I think it's the sort of film that people who are young think it's amazing, but I think it probably wasn't beloved. It's not considered in the same thing as, like, it's like the Goonies. 16 or, Candles or something, yeah. Yeah. But that is a movie that I just was, like... I think I just really loved Elizabeth Shue. I yeah. didn't know what to do, and, but I saw it seven times in the theater, and I was like <laughs> super into it. How old were you? Do you remember? Probably like thirteen or twelve, or right around the age where you want to go see Elizabeth Shue in the theater a lot, and you don't know what else to do. <laughs> um, so that's that was one thought, but then I thought maybe that's too good. But a movie that I actually really loved, and I haven't seen in a long time, so I can't really stand by it. But one that I actually mm-hmm. think is good that I know was yeah critically panned. Was Baron von Munchausen? Yeah, that's a great answer. Which is Terry Gilliam. Yeah. And, and I'm a big Terry Gilliam fan. And I actually saw that movie in the theater. I think I was one of the... Oh, another one that actually I love and saw in the theater that people hate, hated. Yeah. Like, it might, like if Rotten Tomatoes had existed, it might have been a zero. <laughs> is Cabin Boy. Do you know that movie? Uh, right. I do know that movie. And it, yeah. I think it's in my top three worst experiences I've had at the cinema. But yeah. I actually love that movie, Go so on. that's so that's one. But but I think Baron von Munchausen is actually a, a good answer to that one because yeah. there's some incredible scenes in that movie, and like the production yeah, yeah. value is incredible, and like the actors are also good. But it just maybe it's not a good movie as like a stuck it's together a thing because it's so episodic. But it's I mean there's scenes in that movie that are absolutely amazing. Yeah. So I'll go with Baron von Munchausen. And also, I wasn't a Monty Python fan. Yeah. And so I actually, I think I became aware of Eric Idle through that movie, mm. which was really kind of cool because I went and became, like, I have great appreciation for um, Monty Python. But I think that movie was, and there's maybe there was somebody else in the... It's got Emma Thurman. I think it's her first film. Oh, is it? Yeah, she played Venus. She, yeah. I mean, she's stunning. But yeah, there's so much... There's so many, like, just visually, it's a really yeah. incredible film. Uh, but, yeah, I know that movie was panned, but I, I... Wasn't that one of those movies that got done because it was so expensive and it went over budget and it was sort of thing where, where critics turn against it, like, you know... I don't know. I mean, it was probably, like, what, 87 or something mm. like that? Like, yeah, probably about the same time as, as Adventures in Babysitting. Yeah. It was like a, <laughs> you were alternating. Yeah. Take but, a but, but, yeah, so the, I'll, I'll say... Uh, I'll say Baron von Mun- Munchausen... But yeah, adventures in babysitting, and then also what was the other one? I just Cabin said? Boy. Cabin Boy. Yeah. So I'd love to hear uh, all I say about Cabin Boy. I only saw it once, and I saw it when I was quite young, and I was into really into films. And there was like a London film comedy festival, and I went to see Cabin Boy. And I remember s- sitting there. It was one of the first times, sort of realizing not everything is brilliant. And I was like, I think they paid a man to laugh in the cinema because no one was laughing, but there's one man like. <laughs> like really mad laughing and i was like what the fuck is going on it's a uh, it's, it's so specific that movie and i think that probably the only people who could ever love it are people who love david letterman because mm. i don't know if you know the, the i know nothing of the I see it again I was origination of that movie but so david letterman was like my everything mm-hmm. like he's why i like comedy i would watch him every single night when i was a kid I would record him if I was going to miss it. I was just obsessed. And he was like my access to comedy. And so the star of that movie is named Chris Elliott. 
and he got his start on Letterman. He yes. used to play various characters on that show. One of his most memorable ones, the guy who lives under the stairs, or, or who, he just had these really offbeat characters, an offbeat guy. He was on Saturday Night Live, then he was on Letterman, or Letterman, then Saturday Night Live, and then he had his own show called Get a Life, which if you've never seen is an incredible show, like very kind of surreal, but he played uh, adult paper boy who lived with his parents. And his real-life father is a man named Bob Elliott, who was a big radio personality in the 50s and 60s. He was a part of a comedy duo named Bobby, Bob and Ray. And uh, his real-life father, Bob Elliott, played Chris Elliott's dad. And as a side note, uh, Chris Elliott's two daughters, Abby and Bridie, are both comedic actresses that are working in Hollywood now. Right. So I was just obsessed with Chris Elliott. So anything Chris Elliott did was fine for me. And then... Also in that movie, among various guest stars are um, Brian Doyle Murray, who I think is one of the funniest people. He's Bill Murray's older brother, and he's so funny in that film. And then Andy Richter plays oh, wow. uh, the cabin boy who precedes cabin Chris boy. Elliott, I think, where he takes the mantle of cabin boy. So you have to really love that sense of humor and David Letterman and like Chris Elliott's whole thing, which I happen to do. Yeah, but it's you know certainly not for everybody. But for me, that was a movie that like I saw in the theater, I loved, and I'm sure was zero percent around. Yeah, tomatoes. but uh, I I I love Chris Elliott because he's in Scary Movie too. He's also in uh, something about Mary. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's he's so funny. He had a show on uh, Adult Swim, I think it was called Eagle Heart. It's just, it's a very specific, what's the word? It's like a ironic kind of dry, just deadpan humor that most people hate. Yeah. But for whatever reason, it it, uh, it gets me. And, and he's he's somebody I just... I'm going to let you have Cabin Boy because that is a bold answer. And I well, I'm going to take, I think Baron Von Munchausen is the, probably the better one, though. It's the better film, yeah, but Cabin Boy is the <laughs> But biggest. isn't it a better answer, though? Or, okay, Cabin whatever. Cabin Boy is the boat, the, the, that's like, you know, I'm like, he's serious, this guy. <laughs> I mean, I just gave you a whole history on yeah. Chris Elliott and the and David Lerman produced yeah. uh, the movie. David Lerman. Tim Burton, the executive produced it, too. And David Lerman has a, cam- I think it's his only film cameo. He says his line i think he has one line in the movie it's, it's like hey do you want to buy a sock monkey like that's like i think that's the line and i think like it's it's, it's so odd like it's such a bizarre oh how about this okay there's a woman named Laura Hardin yeah who was in Boogie Nights and in Magnolia she plays uh, the daughter. She's a woman who's like seeing John C. Oh yeah Magnolia. she's fucking great and in Boogie Nights she's a girl who paints the paintings yeah the, the the one that's with Don Cheadle. Yeah, I love her. So, amazing actress. Yeah. Female lead of Cabin Boy. And I cast her in wow. Venom and was so beyond the moon thrilled to be working with her. And the reason I told her that I cast her is because I love her so much in Cabin Boy. <laughs> what did she say? I think she thought I was insane. <laughs> that's she's okay. a fantastic actress. And she, she is. deserves to get more attention because she's so talented and... She, she's the yeah, final she's, show Magnolia. She, she plays this uh, this woman that's like, <laughs> the movie's so odd. Like, there's no doubt. Like, but they're like all living in some weird 19th century world, and she's like a modern person wearing a red like Baywatch bathing suit, and that they pick up and 
than on the boat. Like, it makes no sense in the movie. Cabin Boy is going in, and you've even talked me into watching it again. It might, through your modern, like, now that you, like, understand American comedy better, probably. I think I was, like, 10, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I had no idea. Oh, yeah. You, you would have a different perspective, maybe not a greater appreciation, but you would <laughs> yeah. certainly have a different perspective on it. Yeah. And I haven't seen it probably since I was 10 either, but <laughs> so maybe I should shut up. But, but, but uh, I'm just telling you that Chris Elliott is a comic genius, and that's all I have to say. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I love it. What is the the film that you did used to love, but you have watched again recently? And you okay. So this is my lamest answer. So we'll, let's not spend a lot of time okay. on it. And it's only because I happen to listen to a lot of Howard Stern. And Howard Stern just recently had Dana Carvey on his show, mm-hmm. and they were talking about this movie called Tough Guys, which Dana Carvey was in, opposite Burke Lancaster and yeah, Kirk, Kirk Douglas. Douglas. Yeah. And the basic premise is that. These two old, like, 1930s-style mob gangsters get out of jail, and they're not adapted for the modern world in the 80s. And Dana Carvey's their bail bondsman, and so they, I think they go back to a life of crime. I haven't seen it, but, I mean, that was a movie that I probably watched a lot on video or HBO or something at the time, and I haven't watched in a long time. So I can't say it doesn't hold up. Yeah. It very well may. Yeah. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it probably doesn't. And uh, But at the time, I happened to really like it and watch it a lot. What was Dana Carvey saying about it? Just, uh, well, he does a lot of impressions. Right. And so he has a whole bit that I'm not even going to begin to try to do justice to, where he does a Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas impression, where they have gay sex, and it's like them talking to each other he does them and he's modernized it because he thought that wasn't pc anymore so now they just wrestle but (laughs) but it's uh it was a funny bit about how because he met them like it was his first ever film and burt lancaster was like i've done over a hundred films and he's just like the new guy and uh that was his uh way into acting that is that is quite an amazing first film i have seen it as well I haven't seen it in a long time, but I'm going to go ahead and say it probably doesn't hold up. Okay, you can have tough guys. Um, what is the film that means the most to you? Not necessarily because the film is any good, but because of the experience you had around seeing the film that you'll always remember it for. Might have been a first date, might have been the day you got a job. What is that film? For me, there's, again, two answers, and maybe that's a cop-out, but we're going to go we're with it. We're going to go with it, and then we'll pick one. But they're the same theatre... And that's why it's significant to me. 
The very so the first one is the fuji, the fugitive, uh, which is uh, the fugitive. The Fuji's uh, second record. <laughs> now the fu- the fugitive, which I um, I was driving cross country in a 1966 Mustang when I was uh, 18 years old with my college best friend, and we came to Los Angeles and stayed here. Uh, and it may well have been maybe it wasn't the first time. It was the first time I went to. L.A. like is not a kid like right. where I like understood things. And I was on my own, and we went to the Chinese theater, oh, wow. and I saw that movie there. And if you've never been in the Chinese theater, it is the greatest movie house in the entire world. And I say like if you go to you know Paris, well God bless Notre Dame, but if you go to like if you go to places that they have something that's like their church, their cathedral, yeah. you go to Barcelona, you can go see the Gaudi, like. Yeah, like the churches are a thing that I think are significant in a lot of places, Rome, the Vatican, whatever. For me, our church in Los Angeles is the Chinese theater. It is a cathedral to filmmaking and movies and loving movies. And I, those handprints out front mm. are they're they're just like a collection of like our collective history of movie making, movie loving. And so, watch, I might even cry now, but um. <laughs> But, uh, but so so just that was my first ever experience going to the Chinese theater, and that was very significant to me. So I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to say the fugitive, the fugitive, just because it was my introduction in a weird way to Los Angeles, which later became my home. To that movie theater, which whenever there's a movie I want to see is playing at that theater, I go to that theater to see it. Um, it's changed a lot because they made it like um, an IMAX thing, and the seating's all messed up. But uh, it's still like just. You walk into that place, you feel like going back in time. And my, one of my greatest experiences as a filmmaker was that during Gangster Squad, we got to shoot a shootout at the Chinese Theater, which actually ended up getting taken out of the movie no. because there was a massacre that took place oh, in yeah. our movie that very much paralleled the shooting in... Um, Arizona? No, it was in Colorado, but it was in Columbine. But it was like, unfortunately, in America, we can't keep track of our yeah. uh, mass shootings. But so that happened. And sadly, our trailer for Gangster Squad played before The Dark Knight, where the kid <sighs> killed a lot of people. And in our trailer was a scene of people bursting through a screen and shooting people in a movie theater. Oh, my God. So it was super dark, super bad, bad. Everything's bad. Yeah. There's no good things to say about that. Fuck. But the experience of shooting that sequence prior to the national tragedy mm. was one of the greatest experiences of my life because it does have such significance to me. And so to shut down Hollywood Boulevard for four nights and w- w- the, there is a John Wayne movie, Red River, playing on the screen. Wow. Uh, the gangsters had set a trap for the cops. The cops were lured in thinking they were going to find whoever it was they were looking for, and then through the screen burst the gangsters with Tommy guns, and they start just mowing everybody down, trying to get the cops, and end up shooting a lot of people aren't cops. But uh, And then the, the gunfight spills out into the courtyard yeah. at the Chinese. And we shot this all at the Chinese. Wow. Somebody told me at the time that we are the first movie to shoot inside the Chinese since Blazing Saddles, wow. which was, like, incredible to me. But, like, so then we're outside with Ryan Gosling, Josh, Brolin and Anthony Mackie and all these guys shooting guns, timing guns, like, like on Hollywood. I mean, it was just like, it doesn't get more yeah. Hollywood movie making that. Like, you're a kid, you want to make movies? Like, 
and someday you get to go to Hollywood Boulevard to the Chinese Theater and shoot a gunfight in that courtyard. Like, I mean, it was it was yeah. fuck. It was so amazing. Like, it was beyond a dream. I don't. I honestly, truly don't believe I'll ever have an experience as a filmmaker that will compare to how special it was to get to, for personally. Yeah, to get to shoot there. It was really so special. And my greatest memory from that whole experience was that the. It so happened that the final day of our shooting there, there was going to be an eclipse of the moon. And I was like, well, we should shoot that. Like, that'd be cool. Like, well, well, maybe we'll use a transition for the movie. Like, now I know, like, you would never do that because you can just make it in a computer. But at the time, I was like... So the the camera guys uh, brought the camera up to the rooftop Mm -hmm. of the Chinese... By the way, I got to, like, explore the Chinese and go places that you're never supposed to go. But we went and sat on the roof of the Chinese theater... And it was like, you know, all night because we're doing time lapse of the eclipse. And I was with my Academy Award winning cinematographer, Dion Beebe, and this man named John Buckley, who's my single favorite ever crew person I've ever worked with. He was the gaffer on the movie. And he's gaffed, I think, five movies that have been nominated or won Academy Awards. Like one of the hardest working, most passionate, greatest crew, crew members I've ever had the privilege to work with. And he brought a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue, and we all sat on that roof watching a eclipse of the moon, drinking the world's greatest or alleged greatest scotch, and just sharing stories of filmmaking and on the roof of a true palace of filmmaking. And that was, you know, just a really special experience. So I'll take the fugitive as my that's uh, so great. Yeah, as my. Because it just was a real introduction to Los Angeles and into this place that I think is like hallowed ground. Man, I mean, it's a wonderful. I mean, I'm going to cry. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm always I, okay. Don't tell me what the other answer was, or do you want to? Oh well, the only other movie was Titanic, which I also saw when I first moved to LA in whatever year that came out was '98 or '99. I forget. But I, 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 it was a different experience. Fugitive was just like, oh, this is a cool yeah. movie in a cool theater. The Titanic I saw there also, and uh, it was the first time I moved when I moved here. I saw it, and we. Sat, I remember I sat in the second row, and it's a really big screen, and I like was yeah. just like looking up the whole time, and uh, it's a really long movie, so. <laughs> I think the more significant one is The Fugitive, but I only remembered that after I wrote down Titanic. So That's really, really good. Uh, what is the film that you found the sexiest, Ruben Fleischer? And is it Adventures in Babysitting? <laughs> it might as well be, apparently. Um, no, Fast Times, I'll just go with, only because of one incredibly memorable shot. Yeah, that for me as a formative youth uh, was very significant. But I don't know if that's necessarily sexy in any way. If anything, it's exploitative. But for me, it had great uh, significance. I think that is a, a perfect answer. Phoebe Kate stepping out of a pool. It's a very sexy. Hose, lots of things, yeah. slow mo. Yeah, it's tough a, to beat. Tough to beat. Uh, now there is a subcategory question. Uh, which it's the most controversial part of the podcast, which is troubling boners, worrying why dons And it's a film that may have aroused you and you thought, oh, maybe that's not ideal. Mine is uh, in retrospect. Yeah. And this may compete with The Incredible Shrinking Woman is one of the earliest films <laughs> yeah. I saw. Yeah. 
But when I was a kid, I shouldn't say this out loud, but it's true. I had a real thing for Annie. Like, like I think that I had like this, like it was before I was sexualized. So right. it was just like, I just really liked the girl who played Annie. And I may She's have had dreams movie. about her. And that like, I don't know why. Because she's fucking great. I guess she's like, yeah. I, I didn't think of it that way. I, I mean, I all I can picture is that dumb red wig. But, like, I think it was maybe because she was, like, a badass yeah. kid who didn't take... She was scrappy. Yeah. And she had... She'd, like, hey, mister. And yeah. Like, she'd look after herself. She's fine. And you just have to keep up. Yeah, I guess I like a tough chick. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, because, it, like, because I was thinking about it as I wrote... I, I was like... Why? Why was I so into Annie? But it, yeah, because it wasn't the little red dress. It wasn't her hair. It, I guess it was her attitude. I just liked that she was a tough, tough girl that didn't take any guff. Yeah, she wouldn't take nothing from nobody. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> and she also. I guess it's not that bad. It really put it in perspective. Thank yeah. You. you know, she had, she was hanging out with with Roosevelt and shit. People were looking to her for guidance. She's and I, 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 she's got a cool dog. What's he called? Albert. Albert Finney's yeah, yeah. so good. Like I like Melrose Crossing is one of my all time favorite movies and like I don't think I made the connection till much later that like, oh that guy you loved in Annie yeah. was actually the guy from Melrose Crossing, but uh yeah. That, that's that, so that's my answer to that one. That's excellent. Um what is objectively the greatest film of all time? Might not be your favorite. But aliens come and they go, what is... So not the one I'm most related to, but the greatest film of all time. I'm, I'm mixing them up. Uh, you just keep me on keep my toes. Keep me on your toes. I, 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 I think I'm sure I'm not the first one to say this one. So tell me if I am. Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think you are the first to put really? in that one. Well, then everyone else is wrong. Was ever maybe one other person did it, but a long time ago. And yeah, you can... I, I mean, I will fully accept it. Yeah, I don't. I mean, what are the other highlights? I mean, tell you what comes up more than more than I'd like is the Godfather. Godfather comes up more than I would be writing it. One or two or both, or that's always the discussion. But Godfather appears a lot in on this, and I'm always. It's good. Sure, it's no Raiders. But Raiders is like the greatest movie of all time. I mean, it's like. Do you know why? I was just talking about this the other day. There's many things I love about that movie, but the thing I love probably more than anything else is the character introduction for Karen Allen. Karen Allen, yeah, like, it's it, so it, good. It's a it, it functions on so many levels. One, you're meeting a woman who is drinking somebody else literally under the table. Mm-hmm. Two, it's a oneer, and it's an incredible shot just in and of itself. But as a character introduction, all the better. Three, it's a plot point because later in the movie, she'll come back and use her ability to drink a lot, to drink Belog under the table so that she can achieve what she wants to achieve. So it's like it accomplishes so much and it's so skillfully and craftily done. Like it's a testament to why that guy's one of the greatest filmmakers, if not the greatest filmmaker of all time. You know um, who Karen Allen is a bit like in that film? An older Annie. A hundred percent. When that yeah, you can she's going to be drinking people on the table. Yeah. And... Taking no guff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. I agree. But, right? I mean, is also right? opening right. sequence. I mean, I thought about it for for maybe a question that might come up down the road. But mm-hmm. like uh, 
that opening sequence where Indy just, I mean, Sorry. series after series, it, like boulders and statues and Indian tribes. And then this is why this is why Raiders is the greatest movie of all time. Because mm-hmm. the star of the movie, the hero of the movie, he doesn't win. Yeah. What happens? He does this incredible thing. He yeah. gets a thing, and then they take it from him. Yeah. And, he, and he has to like go lick his wounds. He gets punched. He gets knocked down. He's not perfect. That's yeah. why it's such a great movie is because Indy, you, I mean, A, Harrison Ford is like, there's no one else like him. But B, the character of Indiana Jones is not infallible. Like, yeah. he's afraid of snakes. Like, that's why the opening for Last Crusade is so amazing because it establishes, oh, like, all of his fears and all yeah. of his shortcomings. But, like, he's a guy with flaws. He's a guy with fears. He's a guy who's not perfect and in that's like how we want we want our heroes to be real. That's why Superman is so boring. It's yeah. like who cares? Like he's perfect, whatever. He's a you can't beat him. Like it's great when they're like relatable and just like us. And Indiana Jones is like a guy who just wants to you know aspire and do great, but like he uh, sometimes comes up short, and that that's why you love him. A thing that worries me about like big summer movies, and again, it's maybe to do with Spielberg and stuff. But when I watched Raiders of the Lost Ark, and, and even I think Jurassic Park is the last one where you go, "This is a film that works for families. It's aimed at families. Everyone can watch this." But it's fucking funny. It's got like proper adult funny lines in it. Like people say funny things that are also believable in the context of what they're saying. They're not being like unrealistically funny. They say what people might say in situations if they were witty and i feel like that i don't see that enough in films like that these days you know what i mean i feel like but i i mean i haven't seen all the marvel but isn't that part of the marvel movies charm is that like they got yeah marvel do it marvel i think the the the, when i saw guardians of the galaxy i was like oh that's what i've been missing was like action and people actually being funny yeah and i mean i hate to say this but Part of the charm of Zombieland, perhaps, is that there's some funny oh, stuff in it. Yeah. Well, I can't, I'm not counting Zombieland in this list because Zombieland is, like, straight up. I, I'm going to see Zombieland knowing it's funny. I'm talking more like... Oh, like, just like an action-adventure movie, but yeah. it's also... I mean, the greatest movie in that regard, I think, bar none, is Die Hard. Like, Ex- exactly, like, exactly. Yeah, like. no one does it anymore. Like, Die Hard's perfect movie. Like, that is a legit perfect movie. That could be up there as yeah. greatest movies, but... I, I'll take Raiders, but but you know the the one thing that whenever you say Raiders, people call out, which I think is so lame. But like he rides a submarine to get to the Nazis at the right. end of the movie, like that's a plot point. Like he literally goes on top of a submarine, and they like somehow cut to him, and now he's yeah. like getting maybe he's like hair's wet and he's getting into a Nazi uniform. Like so so that's like a, the one Achilles heel of. Yeah. Of Raiders is that like they just kind of like skip for a second just suspended disbelief, but for the most part, it's like for the most part, it seems legit. Oh, it's incredible! Yeah, there's Wonderful. so many setups and payoffs in that movie, yeah. which is my favorite thing in a film is when you do a good job of layering things, and so that when you pay them off later, it's so satisfying. And mm-hmm. that movie has great runners and setups and payoffs, and it's incredible. Yeah, great. I prefer it to The Godfather. What is the film you most relate to? Okay. So I have two answers for this. They're variations on a theme. My first thought was Better Off Dead, which I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. It's very American. You know that Better Off Dead, do you know who else brought that up? Bill Lawrence. 
Oh, that's funny. Yeah. As for the answer to the same question. And Deborah Francis White. Uh, no, I can't remember. They might have been for different... different. And the other movie is Say Anything. They're both John, John Cusack, Cusack movies. And so I guess, like, as a teenager, I saw myself or aspired to be sort of a John Cusack. I'm going to go Say Anything, I think, for this one. Because Lloyd Dobler was, like, a really iconic film character who just like was a little bit misunderstood he really wanted to be the best guy he could be he managed to get diane court and like woo her and the ending in that movie is so satisfying with the pen and uh it's just i don't know i think like for me there's something about cusack at that time those were probably the two best showcases of him but they're like the characters between those, what was his name? Lane. Better off dead, he was Lane, and the other one he was Lloyd. Can't remember Lane's last name, but um, he just was this guy who just was like really funny and cool, but like walked to his own drummer, and like wasn't appreciated by everybody else in high school. And I was a real loner in high school. I mean, I never got the girl at the end of the day like he did, but uh, it definitely was like an aspirational relatable, lovable, outsider guy. I love that. Yeah. Um, is your wife like Annie? She don't take no guff. <laughs> that is a fact. No, I would it. not mess you with her. It. Yeah. You did it. I got my Karen Black. You got your Karen Allen. Allen. I always get them confused. <laughs> Karen Allen. No, she's tough, man. Yeah, I wouldn't mess with her. She, she's she's a badass for sure. Um what is the film? I think we know the answer, but it might be different. What's the film you can or have watched the most over and over again? I don't know if it's the one I've watched the most over and over again, but it's one that I could watch the most yeah. over and over again. And it's, I, I think this is a bit of a stock answer, but I'll go with it. Goodfellas? Fucking Goodfellas. absolutely right. But, but Goodfellas or Boogie Nights are two movies that just yeah. like... They're infallible movies. They're they're also so layered. There's some like to, to me. I took this question as like if it's on TV, would you watch it? And for me, Goodfellas, I would watch. Boogie Nights, I would watch. I love Casino too. I was just talking to somebody else about really? like how Casino, I think, is not as well appreciated as Goodfellas, yeah. but I think it's actually as good of a movie, if not better. But Goodfellas is one of those movies where like there's so much in it that you kind of forget all the specifics and all the details, but like. There's not a frame that's wrong in that film. So I could just... And he's a master. Like, he's a beyond a master. He's, you know, so, like, you can just... Every time you watch it, you take something new or learn something from it as a filmmaker. Like, it's inspiring. But I, I feel the same way about Boogie Nights. I think both movies. Yeah. But for me, I'd prefer Goodfellas. But is that the standard answer? Uh, no, it's not. And it, and, but it's a, it should be. Okay, we don't like to be negative, but we'll do it quickly. What's the worst film you've ever seen? What's your worst film? Yeah, I don't like to be negative, especially because no. there's... It's hard to make a film. Yeah, it's, as I can uh, relate to, because I'm sure people have walked out of my movies. Um, but I don't walk out of many movies. Mm -hmm. uh, but one that I did was called Sucker Punch. And I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's made by oh, Zack exactly. Snyder. Oh, Snyder, the dream... Uh, yeah, the, this is my basically summation of that film yeah it was like watching somebody else play a video game <laughs> like i i get no joy out of watching somebody else play a video game and just yeah. felt like this very in what's the word when you like do something for yourself self-indulgent 
indulgent movie. Yeah. I don't know who he made it for. He didn't make it for an audience. Yeah. I think he made it for himself and there was no story and it just was lots of weird action scenes and I just was like, okay, I, I don't need to see any more yeah. of this. I think that was like his art film. No, that was the the Gardens of Gaul or whatever the oh shit the owl movie I was. About that. Yeah, yeah, that's a totally fair answer. Now you've made comedies, lots of them. What's the film that made you laugh the most? This is a tough one, just because there's so many great ones. But I think my honest to god answer is Borat. Great. But I also put the Jackass movies up there. Right. I think there's something about unscripted that's funnier than the funniest scripted movie. I mean, I, there's something about watching real stuff that mm. transcends, like, because it's so unbelievable. And, and you feel that danger yeah. of the reality of that. Like, Bad Grandpa or the Jackass movies have shit that just makes, like, you snort out. You know, whatever you're drinking, like, it's just so funny. But Borat, I also have a personal connection to it because I was lucky enough to do all the the behind-the-scenes filmmaking of that movie. No shit! Yeah, so I was there for not all of it because Sasha was really against any uh, documentation of the process. And then, like, by the second time or whatever he'd been arrested, somebody was like, you got to, like, film this shit because it's so crazy. Yeah. Um, and so I got to go through from like Texas and then California and like I got to go to Romania where they shot all the Kazakhstan yeah. stuff. So I was there for the running of the Jew and wow. like other things. And it, it was like one of the first movies I ever worked on. And it was just really significant to me on that level. But it, I think it's inarguably yeah. one of the funniest movies, if not, you know. Did just, you, can you tell me anything that I wouldn't know or we wouldn't know that you're allowed to say that you saw? Like, is, I'm always fascinated. Like, he's just fully, fully, fully in. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, it's a shame because I made this incredible uh, behind-the-scenes kind of documentary mm. about it, and he just didn't want to give away the secrets. Right, uh, yeah. So I hope someday that will be released because there's footage on there that's just so funny. Like, I remember interviewing him, like, moments after he had filmed the naked fight and mm-hmm. he's talking about how he could feel Ken Davidian Azimuth's stubble on his cock and him just being like truly shook and he says in the thing he's like I really wish I'd never written that because like there were times where um he couldn't breathe because you know if yeah. you remember Azimuth was on the heavier side yeah, and so there's a per- point where he's like 69ing him and like Sasha, like, can't breathe, but, like, the way they had indicated that he can't breathe was that he should hit the yeah. hit his hand to say he can't breathe, but that's what the character would do if he can't breathe. Yeah. So he's literally being asphyxiated by, like, a giant fat ass on his face. Jesus. And, yeah, just, like, so much. Uh, but it was one of the funniest things, and the greatest thing about that was it was, like, it felt like literally 10 of us were making that, or 10, I shouldn't include myself, but there were 10 people mm-hmm. making that movie. It was wow. like the director, two camera people, the producer, the sound guy, and Sasha, and the, there was a costume guy who also did props, and that was it. Like, they, it was such a ragtag. We'd go around, like, in a, a van and, like, kind of just was so unconventional and felt really dangerous and cool, and Sasha's a genius, obviously, and it was... 
really just a, wow. such a privilege to have been a part of it. But then, you know, even having seen all, in the running the Jews, just like yeah. one of the greatest, the all the shit in that village with those, I mean, those were, we were shot in a gypsy village in Romania and like, they didn't have any running water, the, like all their lights were run up car batteries, like it was like, but like just taking over that weird little village and making a movie and they're so brilliant all he and all his writers and how they're able to incorporate like people that they met and like things that they had planned I mean, it was just like so next level yeah uh but but i think the movie even having been a part of it is so funny i mean yeah. there's shit in there when like i can't even remember all the stuff that happens but just like you can't believe he takes it to that level and you're yeah. just dying laughing like he's truly did you see so yeah, but I, the thing i'm always interested because we'll, i guess we'll never see it but did you ever see anyone suss him did you see anyone go i'm not this is a joke i'm not playing this like did was there anywhere it was like oh you're getting something and then it was like no I see what this is. I'm sure that happened, but I can't remember it. Okay. And the the thing about me was because I was doing behind the scenes, I couldn't really be there when they were doing proper bits because it just wouldn't have made sense that there was yeah. a random guy with a video camera. But I, there was this really funny sequence they shot where they didn't suss it out, but like he went into this. He was there was like a whole jobs montage where he was like learning to deliver. Or make money mm-hmm. because he's like on, on the skids or whatever. So he gets a bunch of random jobs, and one of them was trying to get subscriptions for newspapers. So he's going door to door with a guy who kind of like knows how to do that, and he can make money doing yeah, subscriptions. And so he's asking these people, "Do they have a newspaper? Would they be interested in another newspaper?" Blah blah blah. In the middle of it, he's like, "I'm sorry, may I uh, use the bathroom?" And he goes in the bathroom, and uh, the other guy who's the mark with this family who they just knocked on their door uh, is kind of there sitting there making small talk and he's gone for a minute and he comes back and he's like wearing a towel and he has like shampoo in his hair and he's like uh, I'm sorry do you have any conditioner or whatever the joke was and they're like get out of here and they're like get out like they're like they're like so pissed that he would be half naked. It was in Texas. They were right. conservative. They had like I think a teenage girl. They're like, get out of there, get out of there. And so they like threw him out in the towel with shampoo in his hair, slammed the door, called the cops. Like they had to get him out of there like immediately. Sasha. Yeah. But he had left his Borat costume in the bathroom because he had yeah, to yeah. take the shower. And so then to get the, it was a big deal to get the costume back because he only had one costume. Oh God! There wasn't a second costume. He wore it every day. It smelled terrible. He never washed it. It was like, and so that the so they didn't exactly like call his bluff, right? Like this is bullshit. But they were just were like, we're not having this. Yeah. And then I remember it was like a big deal to go. Did you have to get the costume back? No, somebody else did. I remember like. Um, I remember, like, in the thing I made, there was, like, a whole subplot of, like, trying to get the underwear because the underwear was this, like, weird white mesh underwear that his father had given him, and there was no other pair, and, like, you know, somebody came back with the other wear in a Ziploc bag. Amazing. Ruben Fleischer, you've been wonderful. A real treat. Now, the thing is, when you died at the age of 127 of old age, and all your grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren. By the way, your grandchildren were about 198. <laughs> and uh, 
they were all stood around. They were like holding themselves up because they're so fucking old. <laughs> and they were like, when's he going to die? Because I'd like to sit down. And then you took your last breath and then you were bitten by a zombie and then you came back and then you were a zombie for another 20 years. And then Woody Harrelson, who, as you know, will not die. Double tap uh, me. He double tap you, killed you dead, blew your body into pieces. So then I had to come along, find bits of you all over this fucking field. You were a right state. I was having to dig up bits. You were stuck on trees. You were stuck on tyres, weirdly. had to cut up a tyre just to get all the bits of you. Anyway, there was a lot more of you than I'd planned (laughs) when I got to the coffin. Some stuffing in the bit of the tyre, a bit of there with some wheat. I don't know where you were. The coffin is absolutely packed, filled with you. Pieces of me. Pieces of you, much more than we were expecting. There's no room in this coffin. There's only room for us to slide one DVD in the side. And when you go into the other side, there's movie night every night. And one movie night, it's your movie night. You're presenting a film to the people in heaven. What film are you going to take? My answer is Blues Brothers. Lovely. No one saw it coming, but it was John Landis, your favorite John Landis, we talked about him. And I, for a long time, said that was my favorite movie. And it may be my favorite movie. But now I kind of say Raiders is my favorite movie. But Blues Brothers is probably the movie I've watched more than any other movie. It's just, as, to me, I think uh, the music in that movie. John Land- Another thing that John Landis doesn't get credit for, uh, not to just keep sucking on the D of John Landis, but uh, <laughs> he directed the greatest music video of all time. He directed Thriller. Yeah. Mm. And, and so th- the... I was a music video director. Music videos are a big part of, like, I have a real passion for them. And if you think about those sequences, the musical sequences in Blues Brothers, those were, like, early music videos. Like, there would be these, like, interludes of just music and people performing, dancing, and whatnot to music. And so I appreciate that aspect of it. I think Belushi is one of the greatest comic actors of all time. Ackroyd is also very, very funny. There's such an incredible supporting cast. Uh, Carrie Fisher is yeah, another. So she good. don't take no guff. Like, uh, <laughs> just amazing. And, and it's and it's definitely like, it's an action comedy. Like, in mm-hmm. the true sense of the word, the car chase at the end of that movie, I mean, it's unparalleled as far as, like, destruct. I think they, like, ruined a record number of cars on that. Yeah. Police cars in that chase. I mean, it's got a flamethrower. There's a SWAT team. There's, you know, just so much car chase. There's country music. There's soul music. There's everything. It's just, to me, it just has it all. And it's just so, it has Nazis. I mean, like, what it really, like, it's like, I guess that's the, the parallel between Raiders and Blues Brothers. They both are like, one is Illinois Nazis, the one has real Nazi Nazis. But, uh, yeah, the Blues Brothers for me is just a movie that I think when I was in high school, I just watched all the time. And, and interestingly, I don't know that in the same that we talked about Goodfellas, I could just watch it, mm. like, every day. But when I was in high school, I could, and it did. And so I know that the rhythm of that movie yeah. so well, and I do think John Landis is just a really un, um, appreciate, underappreciated director because he's made these awesome films, and yeah. that that one for me is my my uh, casket disc. That's great. So your favorite film is The Blues Brothers. 
I think Raiders, but yeah, okay, close second. Uh, Ruben, you've been excellent. Is there anything you would like to plug or tell people to look out for before? You I'm go? just excited for all that you have on the horizon. So I just want to just support and promote Brett Goldstein, all that he's up to, and all that he's about. Because there's no one more charming, no one funnier, no one more handsome, and I just truly, so I just. I'm all about, I'm all in all on right. Brett Goldstein. I'll be a zombie, zombie land three <laughs> in 10 years. Brett Goldstein, really ladies pleasure. and gentlemen. You are wonderful. Thank you so much. for. Your, it's really thank you for your time because this is a big deal. You're in the middle of editing, finishing editing Zombieland 2, which everyone's very excited about, and I will release this nearer the time. I will release this after the trailer's gone out. So if you've not seen it yet, go and watch the trailer for Zombieland 2. Ruben Fleischer, God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. So that was episode 59. Remember to join the Patreon for extra content at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. And if you do enjoy the show, please subscribe and give it five stars. And instead of a review, write about the film that changed your life and why, and I'll have a read of it. That would be nice. This also apparently helps our numbers. It means more people get to hear it. I can keep making it, etc., etc., until we all die or the internet explodes. Thank you so much to Ruben for being so excellent. Go and see Zombieland 2 when it comes out. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to ACAST for hosting it. To Adam Richardson for the graphics and Lisa Lydon for the artwork. Come and join me next week where I have another amazing guest. But I haven't decided which one I'm going to release yet. I think by now you can trust me that it'll be another absolute belter. So tune in. In the meantime, hey, have a lovely week. And please, be excellent to each other. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.